Grace and mercy, his mercy is more, are yours. From God our Father, who gave his own Son to be the atoning sacrifice for all of our sins. Dear fellow replaced Christians, last week we started our series, Replaced, right? And we, we looked at how God declares us not guilty, right? We looked at the, the language of the courtroom, how God has said, you are justified because of what Jesus has done for you. Today, we're going to continue that, that theme, that language of being replaced, but not in the courtroom. We're going to take a look at how God uses that picture of being replaced in the, in the, ter- in the context of sacrifice. Before we get to the, the sacrifice component for a moment, though, I just want to talk about that word replaced, replacement. What ideas, what thoughts, what feelings come to mind when you hear the word replacement? Now, it's possible that maybe like you're thinking about a, a remote that died, the batteries died, and you know it's no good to me if I don't replace them. And so you put in new batteries, and all of a sudden, it works. And that replacement is good. But chances are, if you're thinking about a person, well, the word replacement doesn't carry warm and fuzzy thoughts. Maybe you're a big baseball fan, and you remember the the strike back in 1994. The strike that canceled the World Series the strike that carried over into spring training. And so all these new replacement players showed up to try out for spring training. But they just weren't up to the quality of regular major league players. And there were more bloopers than highlights. Because the replacements, well, they just weren't as good. Or maybe you hear the word replacement and you're a football fan. And you're not thinking about players, you're thinking about referees. And you remember the play, the fail Mary play, right? Where the refs called it a touchdown and it wasn't. And it was the reason that the the replacement referees finally were replaced with people who were trained and skilled and had practiced and did this for years. Maybe you hear the word replacement and you're thinking about the lady you go to who does your hair. And it's not the same one that's done it for years because she moved or retired or, or went on to do something different. And, and the lady you go to now is, is perfectly nice and she does a fine job, but it's just not the same. You had history. You knew exactly, you could go in and you knew exactly what you were going to walk out with and you trusted her. It's just hard to find that same thing, to replace that person. Or maybe you even think of the person who's being trained to take over your job, your replacement. And that's just hard because, well, they're just not going to do it the same as you, which probably means they can't do it as well as you. At least that's what we think, right? Because that's really the issue, isn't it? We don't like replacements, and the reason we don't really like replacements is because, well, let's just be honest, nobody can do it as well as me. 
that actually brings us to our first takeaway this morning. So I'll take that off the screen. My pride tells me I don't need a replacement. Now, God has made you and me to be amazing and wonderful people. He has made us exactly the way that he wanted us to be. But that doesn't mean that we can become the source of our own pride. And that's the danger, isn't it? That, that all of a sudden I start to think, I don't need a replacement. Like Stuart Smalley would say, I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. We start to think, I don't need a replacement, but we do. We desperately need a replacement, and specifically, we need Jesus. And this morning, we're going to take a look at why that is, why it's so hard for us to get that through our brains, that I need a replacement, and why it's so important that we recognize Jesus is that replacement. So today we're talking about the the concept, the language that God uses in the Bible of sacrifice. And it ties in well, right, as we're in this season of the church year that we call Lent. Because there are a lot of people that for Lent, the, the word Lent means giving something up. It means sacrifice, right? There are, there are lots of people who will give up eating meat, at least on Fridays during Lent, right? And maybe some people, maybe you're one of them, will sacrifice something like you'll give up chocolate for Lent or you'll give up alcohol for Lent. And the idea of sacrificing for God is absolutely a good thing. The Bible talks about that, right? God tells us as Christians, we're going to have to sacrifice for him. In fact, even even our very lives, God says, you will have to sacrifice for him. The thing, though, we need to be careful about is that we don't trivialize the sacrifice. And even more important is that we keep the right motivation. Because there's a a huge temptation to, to flip around why we sacrifice, why we give up something, why we do something for God. Now, the most logical and the simplest reason of why we would sacrifice for God is guilt and fear. Because we know that we did something wrong. We know that we failed. We know that we broke his commands. We know that we don't love him the way that he expects us to. We know we don't love other people the way that he tells us to. We know that we have done something wrong. We know it needs to be fixed. The problem is our second takeaway, that I wrongly think I can fix what my sin has broken. We know it's broken. We know we deserve to be punished, but we wrongly think that we can fix it. And in part, we think that because of pride again, right? Because who can do it better than me. We like to think that we are, well, I'm pretty good at a lot of things. In fact, I'm pretty good at just being a person. We're pretty good people, right? And our pride really doesn't like guilt 
And our pride really doesn't like accountability to God. It doesn't like to acknowledge, yes, I've done that, and yes, somebody holds me accountable for it. But what my pride does like is glory. What my pride does like is being honored and and getting credit for things. And so that super-duper appeals to my pride, doesn't it? My sinful nature that says, yeah, but if I can kind of minimize the fact that I did something wrong, but look at me, I fixed it. I made something right. I balanced the scales. Look at me. And God will say, oh, good job. And other people will look at me and say, wow, that was really nice. Because we want that kind of credit. We want that glory from people and from others. Because we do that all the time, don't we? The other reason that this is difficult is, is we live that way. We do it all the time with other people. Think about how many times at work or at school you've done a project and it, it wasn't on time or it wasn't as good as it could have been. And so what do you do? The next project comes around and you sacrifice, don't you? You work extra hard. You sacrifice time to make sure that that project is done extra well, or you put in some extra time and get some extra credit. Guys, maybe you say something kind of bonehead, right? I didn't mean it. I don't know why I said it. But instead of just saying, hey, I'm sorry, what do you do? Hey, I got you these flowers. Why? Because I'm going to sacrifice a part of my hard-earned paycheck to show you, to try to fix what I broke with my words. Or you do something that hurts a close friend. And you spend a lot of time trying to be extra kind and extra thoughtful and extra generous and all these extras to make up for what you've done. We know this. We all know how this works. We've done it so many times because we try to sacrifice something to make up for what we've done wrong. Maybe that's even why you're here. That this has been a bad week. And so I need to go to church to show God, yeah, I'm going to give up something. I'm going to give up my Sunday morning. I hope that's not why you're here. But there's a real temptation to do that, isn't there? To think, I'm going to give up, boy, this Sunday morning could be all mine, but God, you know what? I'm going to come and spend time at your house with your people. I hope you're thankful. I hope you appreciate what I'm giving up to be here. I hope you appreciate that I came early and I set up chairs. God, do you know how much credit I deserve? I spent time practicing music. I'm giving a part of what I earned back to you. Even being here, even like worship of God, can our sinful nature can flip that around. My pride can make it something that, you know what, I'm doing this as a sacrifice to God instead of the privilege that it is, Right? My sinful God wants, my sinful nature, excuse me, wants God to look at the fact that you are here and you have done things and good for you. Because our boss does it and our 
teacher does it, right? When we do extra credit, so why wouldn't God? We want to get credit. Spouse maybe does it sometimes, right? When you try to do something to to make up for, to cover over what you did that was wrong. But that's not the way it works with God. It really isn't. And, And he's so clear and so simple about it all throughout Scripture. And one of the sections where he talks about this is in Hebrews chapter 10. And that's where we begin this morning at verse 1. The Bible says, The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all, and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Last week, if you were here, we read through a part of Leviticus 16 and God's describing the Day of Atonement, right? And they would sacrifice this bull, and then they would sacrifice a goat, and then they would lay their hands on this other goat, a scapegoat, and send it off into the wilderness. That was once a year. But God actually had had prescribed sacrifices for his Old Testament people that they were to sacrifice. And the reason was because they were sinful people. They were broken. They failed over and over. And they had zero expectation from a holy God. They had no business hoping, thinking, wishing, praying that God would do anything for them. And God was impressing upon them to make brutally clear that the consequence for sin is sacrifice. That there is a payment that must be made. And as a result... They were to sacrifice animals. Now, it's not because God didn't love animals. He made them. It's not because God didn't care about them. He was some kind of bloodthirsty maniac. What God was trying to impress upon his people was that there was a consequence for sin. There was a punishment that was required, a payment that needed to be made, and that payment was blood. The payment for sin required blood. But not terribly unlike us, God's people, they kind of shifted their thinking on what this sacrifice was. It became less of a thing of seeing a replacement for themselves and more of a thing that they could do, a sacrifice, that they could give that would make up for what they had done wrong. The problem is, The point of those sacrifices, right, was very clear. Those sacrifices don't take away sin. They're an annual reminder of sin. It's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Those sacrifices, they didn't actually fix anything. They didn't take away their sin. They were simply a a picture, a foreshadowing, a, a glimpse at what was to come. Because they couldn't take away sin. Not sacrificing all the the bulls and goats possible could not actually pay for even one sin. 
Remember the first verse? It talked about how the law is only a shadow of the things that are to come, the good things. See, that's the reality for us too. That you can't give up enough chocolate. There isn't enough meat you could abstain from or anything else in the world that you could give up or do. You could empty your bank account, you could give away all of your possessions, and it wouldn't account for even one sin. It wouldn't pay for even one of them. Not one. Because there is nothing that you and I can do to pay off the debt of sin that we have incurred. The purpose of sacrifice was not to pay, of our sacrifice is not to pay for sin. The purpose of that sacrifice is kind of terrifying, isn't it? It's a reminder of sin. When we, try to, when we try to fix the things that are wrong, God wants that to remind us painfully clearly just how and how often we fail. It is a, a weight upon us of how broken and sinful we really are. That's not because God wants us to just carry around this massive weight of guilt. It's because God wants us to recognize we can't fix it. We need a replacement. We need Jesus. Because Jesus came to be our replacement. No sacrifice that we could ever give can actually pay for sin. But, but Jesus, oh, he can. Take a look beginning at verse 10. And by that will, that's God's will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Isn't that beautiful? It brings us to our third takeaway, that Jesus not only came to make the sacrifice I never could, Jesus came to be the sacrifice for me. Jesus came as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? We heard that in John chapter 1. That's why Jesus came, to be the sacrifice who takes away the sin of the world. How could he do that? Well, he could because he never failed. He never had to try to make up for something that he had done wrong because he never did anything wrong. He never failed to love God perfectly. He never failed to love others perfectly. He never failed to obey God exactly as God wants. And because of that, his perfect life was so incredibly precious, so holy, that he was able to make a sacrifice to shed not an animal's blood, but his own. 
for you. So that on the cross, he suffered for you. He shed his blood for you. He stood in your place and took your guilt and your shame and your sin so that his blood would wash you clean. That his blood would be shed to make the payment for all sin. Wow, isn't that beautiful? That Jesus would make you and me, as verse 14 says, to make us perfect, right? Take a look at that again. For by one sacrifice, he, Jesus, has made perfect forever. Those are absolute terms. Those who are being made holy, that's you and that's me. We are being made holy because while God sees us washed clean, well, we still struggle, don't we? We fail. We say boneheaded things. We do stupid things. We think terrible thoughts. And God washes over that sin again. Not because of anything we might do, not because of something we might give up, not because of how we might try to balance the scales and and sacrifice and do this or that for God, but because of what Jesus has done for us. He is making you holy every day, washing away your sins, declaring you are perfect in his sight. So that when God looks at you, he doesn't see your sin, he sees your replacement. Verse 18, our last verse this morning, makes that beautifully clearly. And where these have been forgiven, all of our sins, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Do you get what that means? It means stop living out of guilt for God. Stop thinking that you have to or you can do anything that balances it out with God. That, ah, I should do this because I screwed up and I did this and God would really want me to do this. God would want me to go to church. God wants you to go to church, but God doesn't want you to go to church because of your guilt. Because you think it's going to somehow make it better. God wants you to know you are forgiven forever. Period. So stop living out of guilt for God. Take your pride that wants to think you can do something and drown it. Drown it in the blood of Jesus that has washed you and made you holy. You are perfect. You are forgiven. There is nothing you can do. And it's all because of how precious you are to God. That's the really cool part, isn't it? Because God made this sacrifice not with any strings attached, not with any conditions, conditional clauses, loopholes, footnotes, small print. No. Why did he do it? It's our last takeaway this morning. That Jesus sacrificed his infinitely valuable life. He is God. And he gave his own life. Why? Because you are more precious to him. That's what God thinks of you. You are so precious, he was willing to die. Willing to give up the most precious thing ever. The life of the Son of God. So that you could come here and not think, I have to be here because I need to make up for what I've done. 
but so that you could come here and know when you come here, it's not to make up for what you've done, but it's because Jesus has made right what you have done. And you're going to hear every single time you're here those beautiful truths that you are forgiven. That's why you come here. Not so that you can make it right, but so that you know Jesus has made it right for me. And when God sees me, he sees perfect and precious. So don't try to balance out the scales. Don't give out of guilt or serve out of guilt or fear. Jesus has perfectly tipped those scales in your favor. There's no guilt or fear towards God. You can serve him. You can give to him. You can sacrifice for him. But do it out of thanks. Do it out of love. Do it out of, wow, God loves me and I want to do this as a result. But get rid of that guilt because Jesus has sacrificed himself so that your guilt is gone because your sin is gone. And that means that you are forgiven forever with him. Trust in that sacrifice. Live in that sacrifice, not in guilt, not in fear, but in love and in thanks and in the freedom of forgiveness because you are precious to God and he has bought you with his blood. Amen.